I do want to talk about you though. We're not gonna. We can talk about me. We're not gonna no, talk about you. Let me talk about you. Come no, on. No. Let me talk about it. Matt, we're not that type of show. Please, come on. I, why do you? Why don't you like? Why don't you like? We're not that. We talk about movies and we talk about video games, Matt. You don't even know if I like it. Matt, I don't care if you like it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bad show, Matt, and I don't care if anyone likes it because it's bad. I'm August Meyer. This is Matthew Rawlings. Matt, say hi. Hello. We are very <laughs> smart, <laughs> very handsome, and the Motion Pixels Podcast. Matthew. Hi, August. How are you? Oh, Matt, um, I'm glad you asked, um, because today we're not talking about you. Come on. We're talking about me, and I'm great. Uh, I went to the movies last night. I saw what um, I can only assume is going to win Best Picture. Uh, 1917? 1917, Matt. And I let's just say, okay, I don't want to spoil this. Yeah, please don't. But I, I'm not, okay, I'm not going to spoil anything, but let's just say I'm looking forward to 1918 because <laughs> 1917 <laughs> was a freaking masterclass, brother. It looks so good, dude. Dude, okay, not only did it look good, but it looked good. Yeah, so it's it's all like one shot, right? Yeah, the Air whole quotes. movie. Yeah, I mean, they, they use some movie magic, I guess, to like cut it at some uh, at some parts and you can kind of tell when they do but the great thing about this movie matt is that every time i saw like they kind of fade to black for a second you're like okay they could have cut there anytime they do something like that i said to myself you guys earned this take a breather enjoy the cut and then let's get back to it because it was so good it was always so good i mean and i wouldn't even say i was expecting it to be way more stressful than it was because it's like the single shot of these two guys going on this like almost suicide mission um the the the, the plot of the movie for those who uh have not seen this movie you should definitely go see it in theaters that's that kind of movie uh is uh we're in oh god we're in world war uh one uh it's 1917 um we're following these two british soldiers as they're given this mission to basically run across no man's land so there's two it's trench warfare right british versus german and they're given a mission to cross no man's land go through where the enemy line was but they just retreated and go and warn um this other battalion of british soldiers not to attack the new line because the new british line is so reinforced that it would be a a death trap and the whole movie just follows like second by second the journey of these two guys trying to go on this mission to save like something like two thousand like 1800 1600 somewhere in that range of soldiers who um were the next morning going to go on a like a to their deaths so i mean it's a crazy movie but the the pacing of it was so good for being a single shot movie um there's a lot of like okay man this is going to be like the world's worst comparison so stick with me but it felt like a game of Fortnite in the sense <laughs> Stick with me, stick with me, dear reader, and I will explain. It felt like a game of Fortnite, not in any sense other than the pacing, where in a game of Fortnite, you have, you drop and it's really exciting, and then you do a lot of, like, th- there's there's not a whole lot of action throughout this, you know, a match of Fortnite, which could be like 30, 20, 30 minutes. There's, there's dips, 
peaks and valleys of uh, action in a game of Fortnite that gives it this interesting pace that kind of keeps you interested in the game, or in this case, the movie 1917 about World War I. Um, but it's all just one long take that doesn't get too in your face. It's not all just explosions happening that you're running through. Like the camera guy in this movie must have been like a, I don't know, like a stuntman also. It was crazy. Um, yeah, it just has this awesome pace. And I actually saw a lot of people online comparing it to a video game. Just uh, think of games like God of War that like do this you know, behind the shoulder, no cut thing. Um, I mean, it was awesome. Did they floss when they got the chicken dinner? Well, okay, so at the very end, <laughs> at the very end, when you think Germany's going to win, but then, okay, spoiler, Germany loses. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when you think Germany's going to win, uh, the, the, Brit- the Britons, the, Brit- the, the, the Brits come, and they, uh, I, I shouldn't say it, Matt, they dab. All right, well, um, I don't know if I want to see this movie anymore now. So yeah, I think 1917 is going to win the Oscar. <laughs> Um, if it doesn't, it surely deserves For the it. dab alone. <laughs> As of this recording, it's already won Best Cinematography. And if it didn't win Best Cinematography this year, in the, the year of our Lord 2020, that would have been a travesty. I mean, the other nominees were good. Like, I saw The Lighthouse also. That was nominated for Best Cinematography. I don't know if you saw that, Matt. But, no. um Okay, so it's this A24 horror movie about Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe going stir-crazy on this island where they, they're manning a lighthouse. Um Oh, that was oh, good. That it was good. it was super good, that. and it was filmed in like this old aspect ratio, so it's super compressed, tight shots, all black and white, all practical effects with these crazy. Not spoiling anything, but let's just say the island is not what it seems in the lighthouse. Did didn't A twenty four also do Hereditary? Yes, dude. A twenty four is on this insane streak. And why don't wow. we? Yeah. So we've talked a little bit about nineteen seventeen. I liked it. You liked it, right? I haven't seen it. You haven't seen it? No. Oh, dude, I thought you had. Man. No, dude, that's why I was saying. I really want to see it. I just, uh, I don't go to the movie theater all that often, so. Um, this is a movie that I think you should go yeah. to the movie theater to check out. It's yeah, just like this huge spectacle. It's not going to be the same if you watch it on, you know, your TV. It's just insane. It's just insane. There's, the stuff they pull off in this movie is crazy and meant for the... Yeah, the, no, I really want to see it. Like, there was another war movie that came out a while ago, um, Dunkirk. Did you ever see that? No, I didn't. But I heard that was really, really intense. So I was kind yeah. of expecting 1917 to be as intense. It's, uh, to me, 1917 isn't like super intense. It's just very good. Yeah. Well, maybe I, I'll go see 1917. How about you watch Dunkirk and then we can. Yeah, I'll watch, I'll watch Dunkirk. I'll watch Dunkirk. Yeah. And we can have a uh, like a mid 19th century war movie segment in the podcast. Um <laughs> We can call it... Um, There's a lot of good to, stuff that we could do with that. Actually. We can call it Back-to-Back World Champs, this segment. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Back-to-Back back World to War back. Champs. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Americans all over the world have been clamoring for a podcast segment to celebrate us winning Back-to-Back World Wars. Yeah. We can just do a <laughs> USA segment where we go over a movie that's uh, America winning. It's like, we can start with Independence Day and move on from there. <laughs> we can pivot to a patriot cast um <laughs> i like that idea matt i like the idea of doing some you know america kicks the ass of x <laughs> segment <laughs> oh um okay yeah so that segment's on the table we have a lot of segments on the table um today we might get into some 
Um, I think today we're going to get into a little segment I like to call A24. Sounds like that's A24 me, because A24 movies have been really good lately. Um, so, okay. <laughs> what, what else did they make? So they made... They made um, The Lighthouse. They made yeah. Hereditary. They made... Um, I think they did Midsummer as well. Um, they did... Uh, what's it called? That really good one about just like uh the, like an entity that just takes the form of humans that are always following you it follows they did it follows oh that movie sucked it follows is so good <laughs> i uh, hated that movie man Matt, okay, <laughs> I, Matt, I, I that's really why i'm it. the movie guy and you're the gamer and then by our powers combined through a dragon ball z fusion dance we have a podcast about movies and video games so we're not expecting you to have you know be a man no, of taste I... I know it's really just me that didn't like that because everybody I talked to really liked It Follows, but I just, I, I did not enjoy watching that. It just, I, I just thought it was like comparable to one of those, um, the people that made Sharknado, that studio. Uh, Matt, I think you're watching a different They made Transmorphers. What okay, Transmorphers. What, <laughs> Trans, uh, <the> asylum. <laughs> what studio was that? The, the asylum. asylum? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it felt like an Asylum movie. But okay, like, a, asylum movies are great. <laughs> okay, it follows. Okay, I, you must have been watching a different movie, man, because I do think it follows is overrated. Because I think a lot of people hadn't been paying attention to horror when when it follows came out, and were just like, "Wow, that was really cool." But I don't know. I feel like horror for the past few years, along with it follows, has been doing that like kind of arts art housey, like really well directed um, thing. And A24 has been pumping them out, man. It's it's insane. Also, Blumhouse has been doing pretty good. Blumhouse did Get Out um, and Us. Ah, Get Out, so good. And I think they also did, like, the, uh, what's it called, those movies? The uh, the Conjuring. I think they do those in Insidious. I feel like that's, like, a trope of horror movies, though. You have to be, you have to be, like, a well-directed um, with, like, good cinematography to be a, I don't know, like, a good horror movie, right? Well, I, think, I feel like yeah, that's just I, kind of part of it. I think that horror movies have a hard time being taken seriously because I would say if you looked at like the release schedule for a year's worth of horror movies, a good like 60, 70% of them are going to be movies with like this like beautiful brunette college girl being, you know, chased by some serial killer. And they're very, a lot of them are very like formulaic popcorn movies. You're meant to just like go and take a date to, to the movies, but a lot of them also to really stand out, like you're saying, are these like auteur driven, like really well directed horror movies. And A24 um, has been putting out like almost all of them lately, all of those like really good um, horror films. Like Ari Aster, we talked about a bunch last week on the pod. Um, he also directed Hereditary. That was his first movie. And before we start talking about Hereditary, I just want to say, man, Ari Aster is swinging for the fences. Much how, I, much how I feel about Jordan Peele, who directed his first ever movie he did after, you know, a big career in making comedic TV shows, was Get Out, one of my favorite movies. Um, he did Get Out for his first movie and then Us for his second movie. Both really good movies in, that, in a similar way, but probably better. Ari Aster did Hereditary and then Midsommar, back to back, within like two, three years. And man, they're all so good. They're so good. I think Hereditary is better than Midsummer. See, I I disagree. I think I enjoyed Midsummer a whole lot more. Hereditary, oh, whoa. like I so I just watched it on Wednesday, and I I enjoyed the whole thing. But I think the thing that kind of 
it's still like lingering in my head is like if if i liked it or not was the um like it they go into the supernatural natural in that movie and that's that's fine and that's uh i'm okay with movies that do that um but it was like there is this other plot thread that was going through the whole time of the schizophrenia that ran in the family and the doubt that was being cast over like i I felt like they were holding on to that a little too long and it felt kind of like i was trying the entire movie i was trying to guess if it was the the mom going crazy or if it was actually occult things that were going on throughout the movie um and you know by the end you see what it really was but it was just like it was just kind of odd to me <laughs> like how long it held on to that in a way but like the movie itself i really enjoyed like just like the the last bit of it was just kind of weird to me but like midsummer okay, I, I enjoyed it, by the way the yeah 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 so like like that end with the it's just, yeah it's mostly the end that just kind of bugs me cuz it's with the oh. Matt, the, the end was my favorite part. I thought that when I saw that ending, that's when I thought to myself, this Ari Aster guy is going for something here. Like, I'm getting like chills on my, I'm getting goosebumps right now. This is a video podcast. You know, once we hit our Patreon goal to uh, buy video cameras, this will be a video podcast where you can see some 4K goosebumps when we talk about Ari Aster. But, dude, that scene where the, bo- the boy jumps out the window, kills himself, and then that light touches him and that music is going crazy and he floats does does he float or he walks and his mom floats after chopping her own head off she floats to the the tree house where yeah the, yeah. the grandmother's dude that stuff was insane and also it ha- it still had to do like the supernatural stuff in hereditary tied together with the hereditary nature of how you're second guessing tony collette because you don't know like, if her mom was crazy, is she crazy? Is her family crazy? But at the end, it turns out that the supernatural tie everything had was enabled because the mom was not thinking straight, because she fell kind of into the into the trap of enabling this cult to get close to her. With Oh, the, yeah, yeah. I get that. The, it's the woman just... from the cult who, like, told her how to do seances and stuff. And then you find out that there was something going on. I mean, it's kind of like a to tie it back to video games kind of reminds me of like dark souls bloodborne storytelling where a lot of the storytelling is kind of done in the background like you never really learn what this cult is doing besides like okay they summon a demon at the end but you piece together things just by by little details you you see in the back of shots um little scares that they have tied together to this bigger narrative like of what this cult is doing i just think that's so brilliant I mean, throughout the movie, I, I thought, like, I've, I've seen this movie, like, three or four times, and every time I, I pick up new little details, I'm like, oh, they were actually planning that from the beginning. Okay, maybe you can help me, like, this, there's, like, one plot point in my head that's, like, hanging sure. over me, as, as to, like, Midsommar, like, I I felt like it was a really tight movie, and everything that happened, I felt like kind of made sense, like, nothing just kind of felt like, oh, well, that's, like, if that didn't happen you know, or this convenient thing didn't happen, then, you know, none of the bad stuff would have occurred. Like, it felt like very natural progression with what that situation was. Whereas in this movie, it feels like everything hinged upon um, Charlie dying, that girl, the little girl. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like none none of the things would have happened if Charlie hadn't died, but it sounded like 
the grandma wanted all this stuff to happen and, and like she was supposed to be like the mastermind behind all of it and like it was all yeah. put into place by her but it's like the coincidence of charlie getting her head knocked off which was awful that Dude, that, that scene, was one of the most scene. graphic scenes yeah. i've ever seen in a movie a yeah, little see, girl's like, head getting uh, just lopped off by a by a telephone pole okay see like so I, that me, scene was great hold on we gotta talk about that scene though like that 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 scene just of you know like the the girls like she's having that allergic reaction and yeah, she's dying she in the back some, seat and, like some, as like, a big brother kid. that's like my nightmare <laughs> you know and it's like just driving and your sister's head coming off like the, the the shot of it just being on him just not knowing what to do not wanting to look back dude after that, he after oh. he hears he knows his sister's head was outside yeah because she was like oh struggling to breathe and then he hears like a bump and he knows that something happened to her and he just stops in the middle of the road and is just staring forward, not wanting to look back. And then meanwhile, you you saw this little girl's head come clean straight off. Oh my God. Okay, so if you're struggling with like everything seemed like too much of a coincidence, is that, is that what you're... It's with, like, just the head that, that entire right? plot point, that just that one section is, I feel like the movie hinged on it too much and it it sounded like the reveal of this narrative of the cult building all this stuff up to make the, the new body for their King there resurrecting or whatever. It felt like it hinged upon that way too much. And I, that's like, it, it just feels like really fragile. Like, like how, okay. like was that planned? Was that supposed to be planned or is that just like a weird bump? Yes. No, it is, but it was planned. It, and that's not like a, movie theory or anything i forget if it's on the i think it's on the drive to the party where the 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 little girl eats the nut cake that causes the allergic reaction that leads to her getting beheaded um on their way to that party they pass that telephone pole and on that telephone pole is carved the symbol of the cult yeah but see that's what i'm saying like that feels like too much of an out there plot point. Like, oh, the so did the cult put the cake there? Did the cult get her to eat it while she was at the party? How did they know she was gonna be there? Like, the I, think only you, reason- I think you can. I think you can look at it as the cult cultivating, huh, um, cultivating this weird relationship with between the grandmother who died at the beginning and the daughter, because later later you hear about how. The, or maybe before you hear about how the the, the granddaughter the daughter who dies um, talks about how the grandmother who was super close with her always wanted her to be a boy no yeah and like there's a lot of stuff that's like set it's like midsummer where there's a lot of things like in dialogue you pay attention to it because that's gonna be important like and it there's some payoff for it that comes at the end but like whereas midsummer like there is nothing that hinged on some like random thing happening. It's like, this is just, yeah. Like they wanted her to be a boy and they even address it at the end of the movie. It's like, now that you have this new body, Charlie, um, like that'll, that that's all good filmmaking, but it's just that fragile plot point of the cult knew that she was going to have a reaction and get her head knocked off there. No, like, that, I think, that, that, it, I, I think it, it's, it, to me, it seems less fragile than um, you're describing it from the perspective of um from the perspective of a cult kind of cursing this family like the there there's supernatural stuff at play that is causing all of this 
and the cult isn't necessarily in control of it. They're just facilitating it for the purpose of this like demon being uh, resurrected at the end, um, using using the bodies of the of the family. But the fact that they knew to put the the symbol there at the at the end, I think is just not the end. That's more in the middle of the movie um, with the beheading. But I think you can you can look at that as like this much bigger thing at play, rather than just a bunch of a bunch of things that happen to fall into place yeah i get i get what the movie wants you to kind of follow and like i mean it doesn't ruin it It, it's not like you're reflecting on that because it moves past it and the rest of it's like this well-crafted plan of subtle manipulation to get things to go their way but i i just i don't think i can get over that point like that's that's just why i like midsummer more because it it just feels more it, it feels tighter like like, it's kind of, like, the same thing I didn't like about Us. <laughs> like, I feel like you, if you, there's a moment in a movie where if you go, like, the wrong way, you can just kind of lose people. Like, we, we talked about Us a while ago. Like, like I thought the first half of that movie was really good. And then when they all of a sudden just expanded it way too fast, like, oh, everybody has a, a other or whatever they're called. It just kind of lost me. And... I just thought it kind of went downhill from there. Where it's not like this movie did that, but it's just like that one plot point that kind of, if you think back about it and you have to do so much discussion to like kind of justify why it happened, I feel like it's just kind of fragile inherently. See, I think, okay, so what you're calling fragile, I think is kind of the, not genre, but maybe subgenre of horror movie that us and Hereditary, I would say, fall into where they're very world-building heavy dramas. So it's a, they're, they're both focused dramas about kind of like, they're each, you know, about a very short period in the life of like a family going through something. But there's all of this huge, there, there's, there's these huge things happening in the world around them that are bigger than the story that you're, that you're seeing. Because end of the day, Tony Collette, the, the mother in Hereditary, being so terrified, and I mean that was what, what an incredible performance. I, I thought it was incredible she didn't win an Oscar for that because man, she was. It was scary how scared she was in that movie. Um, really, really cool performance. But um, both of these movies, I think, hinge on a lot of stuff happening off screen. You know what I mean? Like that's kind of why I was talking about. A comparison between like Dark Souls game, like Souls games and Bloodborne, in that there's so much storytelling happening by implication and by these little things you can pick up the more and more times you watch them. Um, and like I said, I've seen Hereditary three or four times, and every time I watch it, I pick up new little things. And maybe that's why I think these movies are kind of meant to be seen multiple times. Um, yeah. And I think that's just a, a part of what kind of narrative they were trying to trying to, to write with these movies. Um, so it's, I guess it's understandable if you think that that makes it fragile. And I think that's also why a lot of people don't like the Dark Souls and Bloodborne games because they're just they seem kind of inaccessible the first time you you, you whack your head against them. And I think these movies are similar. I don't I don't think this movie's inaccessible. Like I think it does a really good job. It's just I was just saying it's like if you look back at so, like a, a single part and you question it, 
it, it feels like it doesn't add up. That that's it's just like a, you know, sometimes plots have that where you just like look back and you're like, oh well, that was awfully convenient for this entire thing, and it's not like it was by chance, <laughs> you know. Like if it, if this just happened to be like, whoa, this is a good circuit, like a good happening to get our, you know, cult practice practices advanced. Yeah, like okay, that would have been cool, but it it didn't seem like that. It seemed like, oh yes, the cult planned this. This was part of their plan all along. You've never stood a chance. Well, but... I I see it like I said before. I see what you're hung up on, not being a thing the cult planned to happen specifically, but more like a thing that this that the curse on this family caused. Yeah, and it, and like happen. because it's like a supernatural movie, I can. I can see that. Like I said, I didn't. I don't think it ruined the whole movie. I still enjoyed it. Um, I, I like. There's so many good shots and just scenes in this movie that were so well done <laughs> that, like, I, I had a good time watching it. But it's just if I had to say which one I liked more, Midsummer or Hereditary, I, I just felt like Midsummer is way tighter. There was some of that in Midsummer if you do think back. Like, oh, big time, big time. Yeah, like like a. Uh, the the may queen scene like yeah a lot of the stuff in midsummer isn't explained like yes you understand fairly soon that this cult is up to some serious fire here but um a lot of it like like we were talking about with the tapestry like a lot of the world building that explains like the intention behind all this this crazy stuff that's happening is kind of in the background in in both midsummer and hereditary cool movies man cool movies Mm -hmm. we're living in such a good era for horror and um, in October, I watched a horror movie every day for 31 days. It was crazy. And a lot of them were so good. A lot of them were so good. A lot of recent movies were so good. And there's also really good bad movies still being made. There's this great movie called uh, Terrifier on Netflix. I think it's like a series um, of a bunch of them. And it's like definitely a B-movie. And it's about this clown that just kills people because he kills people. Um, but it's so bad. <laughs> it sounds bad. And it is bad. But not in a throwaway popcorn movie way. But what they're going for is just a killing fest and the most gratuitous gore you've ever seen. And all that stuff, they do great. Like, the story is very stupid. But they're not pulling punches when it comes to the actual, like, scary bits. Not that they're, like, actually terrifying. But, like, the gore is crazy. And the stuff that happens is super messed up and if you're into horror movies just for the spectacle it's a great movie and what i'm trying to say is there's a lot of great movies accomplishing what they are trying to accomplish um very uh, coming out pretty frequently these days and it's pretty exciting time to to be a horror fan Mm -hmm. um and you know even some uh there's some bad examples like the show you on netflix delves into (laughs) horror a little bit and it's just does not nail can we can i all right I'm, i'm starting a new segment right now Oh, no, Matt, right, it's called Matt. No, no, okay. So, new segment right now called Matt's bad opinion te- or yeah, bad take testimony. Okay, <laughs> Matt's bad take testimony. That is our new segment, and I'm gonna okay. I'm okay. gonna initiate it starting with you. Okay. Oh no. Okay, so I just decided to watch this yesterday, just the first episode, because um I was hanging out with a couple friends, and there's a couple girls talking about. This, their new favorite show. Well, of course it was. <laughs> yeah, called <laughs> You. Which, and for those unfamiliar with it, it's um, a show about a stalker who stalks a girl and ends up in a relationship with her. 
and continues to stalk her and tries to manipulate her life uh, to remove everything that would be an obstacle between him and her. And um, I think that I do, I do enjoy it. And that's why this is bad. Matt's bad take testimony. Um, Because I, it's like a bad Dexter in a way. Like, have you seen it at all? Yeah, I, I've seen the first two seasons. Let me talk about it. Because oh I know it's God. bad. I mean, like, I, en- I enjoyed the first season. It was, you know, dumb. Just I don't like, think it's too know, like, dumb hot yet. Hot guy d- dating a hot girl. and But ooh, he's a serial killer. And I thought it was, like, dummy, but fine. The second season, man... Does it go downhill? It 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 made me reconsider why I liked the, <laughs> the first. Well, season. okay. So, like, what I wanted to talk about it is like the thing that I I find that it does that's really interesting is how it makes you sympathetic for a character who is just bad. Like, you find yeah. Yourself... I mean, you is like bad Dexter. Well, yeah, but see, what's <laughs> what's great about Dexter is that you can understand. The character of Dexter is like he kills people and that's bad and you're not supposed to be okay with that. But the way he has set himself up is that he only kills other people that are murderers that kill chaotically in a way. And so he's kind of like uh, not a guard, but he uses his obsession of killing to do a, you know, chaotic good thing. He's like a vigilante in a way. And that's why you can like him because he's like. You understand kind of what he's doing, and he's he's a good guy for the besides the killing people, but he kills bad people, so you can get behind it. And so when you are rooting for Dexter, you're like, yeah, okay, that's fine. Like, I like Dexter. But when you watch this show, and what's the guy's name, Joe? He's just he's just bad, and he's just crazy, and everything he's doing is manipulating. Everything he's doing is to get this girl to stay with him and get himself into her life and yet you want him to succeed for some reason and i just it's kind of interesting like the that you can that we've kind of come this far in a storytelling like or in like movies or tv that you can you know i think having a bad character like when dexter was first pitched uh it was supposed to be on a couple other networks but nobody picked it up because they they felt like being a having a serial killer as your main character was a little too out there and, and nobody would like it. And, you know, people did. So obviously they're wrong. But now we're at this point where you can just have a bad person that isn't redeemable at all and isn't doing this for any noble cause or for any but like Matt, he had a hard childhood. Reason. It's fine. Let him stalk. Let him kill. He had a rough, you know, he did not... <laughs> enjoy his childhood no that's what i'm just saying i'm saying i think it's interesting that you can make a show about that now and you can you can successfully have people care and want for this character to succeed in their awful thing that they're trying to do i I thought that was pretty interesting and i thought they like they do a good job i i agree with what you're saying partly i like bad guy shows like breaking bad becomes one of those and it's one of the best shows ever but but it's just total trash (laughs) No, but see, like, Breaking Bad, it's kind of this slow downfall of a guy who initially you kind of think, like, oh, he's doing this for his family. And then 
you see uh, as the show goes on that like Walter White isn't a good guy and he is he isn't doing this for like he has a front reason of like why are you doing all these bad things like why are you making drugs and you know doing everything that comes along with it and it's like oh he wants to leave his family money but when the show gets to that point where when that doesn't need to be done anymore he is so power obsessed because of the bad things that like has happened in his life like losing that big position at that company that he could have had and he could have been the person making like millions of dollars a year and he was it, bald. but in, <laughs> i mean <laughs> that was just that was my part but like it, you know like he he ends up being hurtful at the end and you don't like him like he kind of gets what he deserves and whereas like i think this show just crafts it like in a sense like since he's talking directly to you breaking the fourth wall the whole time it makes i don't know it, it feels more like like if they just killed him I, I think i'd be like yeah good that guy deserved it but it's just it's weird that they can that, that you can do that now i i just it's it's odd that i find myself rooting for him that was just like the one bit i wanted to talk about yeah and i think that part of it is is good i think it's cool to have bad guy leading characters um, and that I, I liked about the first season. I think I liked the first season of you. The second season bites off what I feel is more than it can chew. And it just is a little self aggrandizing. It just seems like it is a little too confident for what they actually are able to, to turn out. Like it doesn't seem like it's really shooting for anything other than a throwaway drama about overly attractive people doing stuff like I, th- I feel like i was kind of honeypotted into the show which it is just, why i'm bitter it just gets uh what is it the cw treatment i felt like it kind of delved into that but yeah check out the second season maybe we could, maybe we can not talk about that on a future podcast maybe you yeah, can, maybe i'll uh, agree with you <laughs> maybe i can uh we uh, we i can return to matt's bad take testimony <laughs> no there'll be a lot of them i have a lot of bad takes god god Lord knows you're correct. Um, so we're, you know, at about the halfway point. So I think we should do what all startups do and pivot to um, something else now. So I think we should talk. <laughs> I think we should talk about uh, video games. Do you like video games, man? They're okay. In terms of video games, you and I just got off of a long, hard stint game some might say several games others would say of rainbow six siege and dude that game is so good it's like okay so i've been kind of evangelizing it to people as like are you tired of easy boring shooters that are just a little too simple like counter-strike global offensive like counter-strike <laughs> source are you ready to step it up if so check out rainbow six siege um you know where you gotta have an eye for detail you gotta have you know you don't run faster there's no handicaps like running faster with your knife out um it's all action all tactics all the time yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, that wasn't a bit matt this game's great i know um, it's I, great yeah we've i've been playing it a bunch we've we've played it uh together um, a few times what yeah are your like thoughts on rainbow six you've been playing it longer than i have i just got into it um Maybe two, three months ago, I started playing. And now I play very regularly. Well, what I really like about Siege is, I know you're memeing about 
Counter Strike, but yeah, yeah. What I what I do shots. like about Siege is it is a, a departure from like what a like a, you know a lot of people would have played in a shooter where it's kind of just like a team deathmatch game. Um, it follows just the round structure where you only get one life, and if you die, you're you're out, and you have to wait till next round to start over. Um, but the the best part about it is it's kind of going with the trend of a lot of other games that have been getting popular or multiplayer games that have been getting popular over the past couple years where it's really team dependent. You you can't just carry your team. And that's where it is kind of better than Counter-Strike in that way. Whereas like in Counter-Strike, if you have one person that's just really good at clicking heads, you're, you're going to, you can get carried super easy. And like Siege, that can still happen too. Like somebody, if they're just on a team with, uh, with everybody as like low matchmaking rating, and they can just play around people that are making bad decisions, they're just going to stomp all over people. Um, but what's great about Siege is just all the different characters and all the different strategies you can bring in, and like the different ways you can build your team comps, which is like, it just amplifies the, the teamwork aspect because it's not just, you know, people uh, with the same kits or the ability to have the same kits just kind of like picking points to guard on a map or you know pushing people in like a certain way like everybody has something unique that they can do and you need to kind of craft a strategy around that and there's a lot of variables that can change between each round like the the fortification aspect of the the walls and um, where you're gonna guard and things like that like it's it's great like I, I really enjoy it um and actually a thing about siege I kind of want to talk about which is about like other games too is like the banning system that they have yeah i think that's a that's a good segue i know you wanted to talk about this more largely yeah like i kind of wanted to talk about this because um recently overwatch just announced that they're gonna do a banning system have you heard anything about that uh i have not but i think we should probably talk about what banning is uh what we're talking about (laughs) yeah like yeah Um, so in in a lot of games right now i mean they all kind of do it differently um but there'll be a, a stage where characters will get banned is kind of a traditional way like so in siege since we were just talking about that at the start of a round um each team will trade off uh banning you know and so in siege of attacking defending characters um and they all have different gadgets and all have different abilities yeah. and weapons. yeah and since ever all these characters have different um loadouts and equipment they use uh you pick one to ban if you don't want to play around that strategy um or if you feel one is too overpowered so you can as a team decide that this character is not going to be in this game and a ban goes two ways so like if you ban a character that means nobody on your team can play it either um as well as the other team and fight so when they do that it's also global um but it's just a way to structure a match in a way that you uh, don't want it to go um and like why i want to talk about this is because so that's the way Siege works, and that's the way a lot of games work, where you can target a ban. Like, even even um, competitive Hearthstone has that, where uh, people, when they go to a tournament, there's, like, it's best of three or best of five, so people bring three or five decks, and then somebody can just ban a class, because the, the decks are based around the, the classes in that game. So it's like, I don't want to play against your Warlock deck. So then people can't play then you just can't play your warlock deck and the you ban somebody else's deck so that's like a thing a trope within competitive gaming um but what overwatch just did was instead of introducing 
targeted bans like they have in Siege or in other games, they're doing this carousel ban where it's, I think right now it's going to be every week, um, four random characters are going to be banned from the game. So it's going to be one tank, two um, offense, and then one support. And it's it's random. So instead of uh, when you go into a match, you can like, you know, pick a tank you want to ban. It's just like this week, Reinhardt, Hanzo, Widow, and Mercy. You can't play them at all. Um, and there was a lot of outcry from people about thinking that that's just a kind of a lazy way to go about fixing a game and making things interesting. Um, and that like a lot of people wish they would have rather introduced a standard ban system. But um, what do you, what do you think? Just like gut feeling about something like that. Well, the carousel ban doesn't make any sense to me. The randomness of it seems like it defeats the purpose of the, maybe I'm just not understanding it, but it seems like it defeats the purpose of what siege accomplishes, which is, I know we are about to play this map. I know what, characters my team is good at and i know what i don't like playing against so i'm going to choose to to block the opposing team from playing uh so-and-so character um because i know that won't affect us and it'll only help our team ideally i don't really understand what i don't know overwatch's system doesn't make sense to me what do you think i really like it um and i like it because when you so the carousel ban, it's not per round. It's per week. So these four characters... Yeah, I got are, that. Yeah, okay. So what I really like about that is when, like, it, it kind of... My only real experience with this is in card games. So, like, in Hearthstone, like I said, somebody can ban, like, a deck. What that has always devolved into was the most OP deck getting banned. So the the deck that's just, you know, tier one and, like, it's just too strong and people don't want to play against it, that just gets banned. And then you have, you know, four other decks that are also meta and are also very strong that you see people just going against with each other. Um, and I don't know, I, I don't really follow Siege all that well, but it's like even from playing our games, you just see some characters just routinely banned no matter what, like Jackal, you know? He's just... You always see Jackal, Montaigne, Kibiera... Um, who else? A lot of the characters who track you, people don't, people don't like playing against characters who can track them and people don't like playing against shield operators who yeah. can shield themselves from, and from damage. And that's, that's probably not reflective of how bands would be in like a competitive sense, but I feel like when you get to that high point, when, when it comes to like game balance, I feel like there's always going to be, and especially in, in hero shooter games, I feel like there's always going to be one couple or a handful of heroes that are just too good or that are or are just better um in siege it might be different because you know everybody everybody's pretty fragile but in like overwatch when it comes to when you have a lot of health or a lot of damage output some characters are just too strong um and why i like the carousel ban approach is like when you make a team comp in overwatch it, it, it's kind of over the past like year and a half it when the meta finally gets rolling it kind of devolves into like one good team comp with like a few changes like maybe they'll run a different support maybe they'll run a different um dps character just depending on the map but it's usually just kind of the same thing and what i like about this is that 
they while they should still continue to ba- try to balance the game as best they can, but if you introduce a random character that just nobody can use that week, it and it, since there's still this huge pool of characters you can pick, it requires you to make a different team comp with what is available. Um, rather than just if you had a, like a normal ban system, everybody would ban the best tank, and then there would be the second and third best tank, and people would just run that. Um, so yeah, I, I, guess, I, I guess with what you're saying, it makes the meta more dynamic. So yeah. you can still they're not banning enough characters. They're probably the randomness, the random nature of the bans probably won't completely obliterate these big meta team comps, but it'll probably a lot of the time introduce dynamicism to it so you see more diversity well the meta will definitely still tend towards a certain kind of strategy you're not you it's not going to be as dependable dependably uh vanilla dependably yeah. homogenous I, I, I find it interesting like i don't know 100 percent if i agree with how it's going to go and they've they kind of don't know either like they said they're going to backtrack on it if it is a bad decision but um I kind of also just think they're doing it because they're ramping down content production. And this is a way where of like the past couple years, the way the meta usually gets mixed up is introducing a new character. And now I feel like they're kind of trying to just make the meta more dynamic by having characters change all the time. Um, so I think that's also just kind of a reason they're doing it. Uh, so hopefully it works out. I'm really excited to try it. I don't think it's live yet. It goes live like mid February, I believe. So I'm gonna try it then. But I think it'll be interesting. I think the all the different ways you can approach banning in games is really cool. Cause uh, yeah, I'd be interested to see what other approaches there are because I'm only really familiar with the way Siege does it, and I'm kind of familiar with the way Dota Two does it, which I think is pretty similar to the way Siege um, does it, where you have these per match per match bans that happen. Yeah, um, I, think, I think I think interact the same way where you if you ban someone that it's banned for you and your opponent. Yeah, I think that's the more traditional approach. I read somewhere that this new Overwatch system is kind of like League. I think League has a hybrid system where they do random bans and then on top of that you can do targeted bans, but that's just cuz they have hundreds of characters, so Yeah. But I'm not sure if, if that's the case. I I haven't really ever played competitive League, so I'm not sure. Yeah, that that's interesting. Um, it'd be interesting to hear Maybe we can do a little research um, because it's something that I have never really put a whole lot of thought into. Yeah. It's cool though. Yeah. Competitive shooters. Um, I mean, they have this incredible, lately, they have this incredible longevity um, to these games from big studios um, like Ubisoft, like Blizzard. I mean, both Overwatch and Siege, I think, came out around the same time and are still very much kicking. I know I know Rainbow Six Siege um, just surpassed its greatest ever active player base it has something like 50 million um i'm probably butchering the 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 number exactly but it's around there like 50 million active players which is even more than it had at launch that's crazy yeah and you know overwatch um similar deal like still very much a uh popular game but it came out in what like 2015 yeah something around there 2016 i think i think five years yeah so um yeah crazy i mean it just shows I mean, dynamicism is what keeps these games alive. Like, you have so few games that just come out and are great, like competitive games, that is. Like, it's so rare to see games like Counter-Strike, uh, Counter-Strike Siege, oh, sorry, 
uh, Counter-Strike Source or um, what are these other earlier games? Like the Quake games? Like, to my knowledge, these aren't games that got patched a ton um, and rebalanced a ton like these uh, these new competitive shooters like Siege and Overwatch um, are. So um, it's pretty cool, the feedback systems that developers have today to kind of gauge what um, they need to do in order to get people to, people to keep playing. Yeah. Like, it's crazy to me that I just started playing a... <laughs> five-year-old five, game. Yeah, like a five-year-old game. And it's still, like, all of our friends play it. A bunch of my friends at work play it. Um, and I'm never, like, hurting to find a match. Um, but it still feels like a very relevant game. Like, it still looks great. Siege still looks great. Plays great. Um, and there's no other game quite like it. Like, it feels to me like a mix between Counter-Strike with a super tight tactical gameplay where one bullet to the head, you're dead. One bullet anywhere else, and you're, like, pretty close to being dead, typically. Um, or at least, you know, you're very fragile. More fragile than you are in, like, a Call of Duty or even, like, an Overwatch. Um, but it's also mixed with Overwatch in the hero shooter sense, where you have these very different, very different um, operators, they're called, um, that have these crazy synergies between their um, uh, gadgets and weapons and whatnot, that you can make these, these cool team comps that make, keep them out of fun. Yeah, I just had such a fun time with it. Yeah, hero um, shooters are great. Yeah, what, what I like about the band system, the, the band system in Siege, um, I enjoy that you can also meme on your opponents like we were just playing and i banned your main (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's Uh, yeah that's like that's totally what the system's for you know just ban your team's (laughs) characters and you can't do that in overwatch so frankly that's discouraging yeah i guess siege does have the better system then i agree i'm glad someone said it all right so i want you to tell me about hades because uh i've seen one of my friends play it but i never really asked him a whole lot about it and i'm interested as to why you just kind of randomly picked it up uh, i i didn't randomly pick it up i've been sitting on this game for a couple weeks uh, i bought it in a, in a sale because i had heard about it forever ago i think this was a game announced at the game awards uh, i could totally be wrong but and please correct me if i am uh, dear listeners um but i believe this game was announced at the game awards a year or two ago and it's actually in early access and it's not an online game it's this is a dungeon crawler but um, I picked it up because it's a Supergiant game. And Supergiant has made some of the best indie games of the past um, decade. They've made um, uh, Bastion was their first big one. They made Bastion, Transistor, um, Pyre, which was, uh, I don't think, as popular as Transistor and Bastion. But a really cool uh, really cool game. It's like a turn-based uh, tactical RPG um, whereas Bastion, Transistor, and Hades are similar in that they're these isometric um, dungeon crawler style action RPGs, though Bastion and Transistor are kind of their own things, and Hades is a very traditional um, action RPG dungeon crawler. Emphasis on the dungeon crawler bit because this whole game is about you, the son of Hades, um, trying to escape the land of Hades, the underworld. So you are this demigod who is trying to fight his way out of the uh, underworld. Whenever you die, you resurrect back at the very, very beginning. So it's a dungeon crawler in the sense, um, in the the random sense. Every time you play, Hades, they they explain it in the lore of Hades is this ever-shifting 
underworld. And every time you die, you come back to like where all the other gods of uh, the underworld hang out. And your dad, Hades, is like disappointed in you that you want to even leave. And he keeps telling you, you'll never make it. Hades is always changing. No one's ever made it out. You'll never make it out. But every time you escape from your room, you're like this rebellious teen. Um, you have all of these other gods, not from the underworld, offering their help to you. And that's the way the system, uh, sorry, that's the way um, the game introduces the um, loot system. So you're not getting, you're not finding loot in the sense of uh, the way Diablo does it, where you're opening chests and beating monsters to get um, cool drops of uh, weapons and armor and stuff. You're actually, you're, you're clearing rooms, and then at the end of that room, there is a, uh, a reward you get in the form of a, like, a communication from, like, uh, Zeus or Dionysus, the god of wine, Zeus, the god of thunder. Uh, and they give you power-ups that are kind of, like, flavored to the kind of gods they are. So, for instance, um, you'll get a message from Thor uh, who's trying to help you escape the underworld, and he'll give you the ability to, every time you dash, you electrify the area that you dashed from. You'll get a message from Dionysus, and who's the god of wine, and you'll have an ability where every time you attack an, an opponent, they have a chance to be hung over. So it's like oh, a kind of like poison damage. That's pretty another, cool. Another game. Yeah, it's really cool. But what's great, um, so these power-ups you get are contextualized in the world. The resurrecting, the permadeath of it is contextualized in the world. And everything about this game has these awesome dungeon crawler, these randomly generated dungeon crawler aspects, but it all makes sense in the grand scheme of the, the story of the game. And you collect some of the things that you collect, um, at the end of some rooms, you don't get power-ups from um, these gods trying to help you. Like Aphrodite is another one. She gives you, I don't know, like sexy powers or something. <laughs> and uh, sometimes you get items that you can take with you after you die. So sometimes you'll get health. Sometimes you'll get um, these power-ups. And all of those are scoped to your run, like your current life that you have. Um, but you can also get things that allow you to unlock different weapons. So before each run like in your right when you're uh when you're about to go escape your room every time it's the same loop you go out and try to escape hades you die you are like resurrected in this like bloodbath and everyone in hades is like welcome back idiot and you're like Fire this place so you go to your room and jump out a window and try to escape again but like right by your room there's like a weapons a weapons uh like a armory and there's currency basically that you get um, at the end of some of the rooms in the uh, underworld that when you die, you can bring back to unlock weapons that you can swap out before each run. Um, and there's other stuff, like you can uh, buy modifiers to the randomness. So like you can add an additional room that just has like no enemies, uh, that has no enemies and just has like health for you. So if you have a little bit of extra currency, you can make your next run um, a little easier. Um, but man, this game is just so, feels so smart and has so much character that these other super giant games made me love. Like, I don't know if you've ever played Bastion, but it's this action RPG where it's, it's, it's told by this dynamic narrator. So like you drop, it starts, the game starts out, you drop down, your character drops down on the world. And this narrator is like, 
the kid fell from the sky and then he got up and then you get up and you start walking around and there will be like a fork in the road and the narrator will be like the kid got to a fork in the road i think he's gonna go left but you can go right and then the narrator will adapt and be like the kid made a bad decision right (laughs) shouldn't have done that and this game does that too like um i got a power up from zeus that was this really power uh, there was this really powerful um i think i described it earlier the ability to like Every time you dash, if you've ever, ever played Diablo um, on console, you'll know the kind of dashing that I'm talking about, where you're just like rolling around the battlefield. It really helps in these action RPGs to navigate like tons of enemies. Um, but I got this great ability from Zeus that I wanted to use, but I had already gotten this hangover ability from Dionysus, and each uh, both abilities affected the same like attack, so I had to choose one. So I chose Zeus's over Dionysus's, and my character had this voice line that was like, huh, Dionysus won't mind. And I was like, whoa! Like, that's so contextual. And that's this the thing. I played this game for maybe three or so hours today. Um, and the, the big takeaway I got from it is that it ingeniously takes these systems that we're so used to, the players of uh, randomly generated dungeon crawlers like Diablo, games like that, are used to, and contextualizes them in a way that feels really organic and uh, makes you experience them in kind of a story from a story perspective, not just a, hey, here's a skill tree, fill out the skill tree. That's just how this game works. Like it all, it all feels more like a, like a th- like a greater thing you're trying to accomplish than just finishing your run. You're building up your supplies every time you die. You're building up your powers every time you go on a run. It's just, it's really cool, man. Um, and this style of it is, is awesome. Like if you've played any other super giant games, you'll know. Um, kind of what I'm talking about. These are all like hand-drawn games. Like uh, Bastion, their first one was used all these hand-painted um, like backgrounds, like pre-rendered backgrounds. If you think of like PS1 games, like Resident Evil or uh, the old Resident Evil games, or like old Final Fantasy, like Final Fantasy VII, with these pre-rendered backgrounds. They do kind of that thing, but with this beautiful high-res um, hand-painted stuff. And in Hades, it's all this like. Mike Mignola, Hellboy style, super dark ink drawings that are painted with watercolor um, to be this like very dark gothic. Gothic is the wrong word. I mean, you're in like the hate the Greek underworld. Um, so it's all, you know, kind of demonic. But there's also these cool um, bursts of color that really pop with this style. It's like weird watercolor style. And it feels like you're in a comic book. Like if you've played the game Void Bastards, another great game from last year. Um, you'll 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 know kind of what I'm talking about. Like it, the game feels like you're in a comic book, kind of, um, and it's awesome. Super crisp graphics. Um, it's just, I mean, I'm, I've been really surprised by this this game, Hades. Yeah, it sounds really cool. I I like the contextual part. I really like when single player games do that, where it's like just an extra layer of polish. It just makes you feel good when that happens. You're like, oh, that's neat. You know? Oh like, yeah, dude. It it yeah. felt like. And this is an early access game, so I don't know. I'm coming at it. Um, I don't know how far into the early accessness, but I'm told that it's going to be an early access for the better part of this year. So I don't know how much of this stuff has been tailored to um, the community coming out and saying, "Hey, this works. Hey, this doesn't." But this game just feels great. Like a, another cool design choice they made is it goes back going back to the the like loot system. Um, so a lot of times in after you clear a room. There, there will be two or more doors um, into other rooms and you only get to choose one to go into 
but they each on the door to these rooms it shows you what the reward is after you clear that next room so if you're on low health you may you may want to go to a room like if you have the choice between like a letter from zeus or some hearts you may have to be like well i want that power up from zeus but i do need the hearts or if you're like me earlier today when i needed to hop off and uh like get on the podcast or get on the uh get on the, the mic with you i um just started choosing stuff just started choosing uh rooms to go into that didn't give me any health and just gave me either power-ups that were going to help me immediately or stuff that i that would persist past my death and then i just played until i died it's a hard game so um you die you can die pretty quickly if you don't watch out um and there's also god mode in this game which i um actually turned on because i'm a wimp and it's this <laughs> it's this cool rolling handicap where every time you die you start out with a 20 percent damage reduction on your character and every time you die it goes up a couple percent i think based on how far you got like how many rooms you cleared in the underworld um the, in your last playthrough so i think i'm up to like 26 percent <laughs> right now damage reduction Nice. But, um, yeah, I, re- I mean, I think it's a really cool um, solution to someone who maybe just wants to see how cool the art is, or like me, I wanted to play as much of this game as I could today um, to give my impression of it, um, and I'm glad I did, because I think it's a pretty cool system. Like, it's kind of the opposite of what Sekiro did. Um, if you played Sekiro, um, I think you, you played a little bit of it. You might have played far enough to know the Dragon Rot system. No, nope. that that's, see, that's okay. another famous uh, bad take I've had was I didn't like Sekiro. Save it for next it. week, Matt. <laughs> this is a podcast of good takes. You can save your bad takes for the segment next week. But in Sekiro, they have this dragon rot system where every time you die, there's this like kind of invisible counter that gets ticked up one. And every maybe like 10, 20 deaths that you have, uh, your dragon rot goes up. And when your dragon rot goes up... Um, every friendly NPC in the game gets sicker and sicker with this plague. And you can get to a point where you can't talk with an NPC that you need to talk with to further the story because you've made them so sick. And then you have to go and do something that makes them less sick so you can progress in the game. So it's like, yeah, it's like an adapt, like because in Sekiro you get like this extra life. I I think it's kind of a way to balance against the fact that you get two lives every time you play Sekiro. Whereas in Hades, it's kind of the opposite of that where the more you die, the uh, with God mode turned on, you get this uh, a greater handicap that makes you more tough going going forward, um, and yeah, I think I think it's like a game similar to the Binding of Isaac, where beating it doesn't take that long. Like in Binding Binding of Isaac, there's maybe like nine or so levels you have to clear. I'm not sure how many there are in Hades, but it seems to me like the kind of game where eventually you do make it out of Hades, and then you get like maybe some sort of modifier that. Uh, in the greater narrative, because it's not just you clearing all these rooms, right? It's also you building up, uh, building up stuff and unlocking new weapons outside of clearing clearing of the rooms um, and, and actually crawling through the dungeon. So I, I'm curious to see what the end game is in this game, because it seems like they have this multi-dimensional game set up um, with like the RPG elements as well as the like randomly generated dungeon crawler stuff. So that's all to say that it's a pretty interesting game. That if you're at all interested in these highly replayable dungeon crawler games like Diablo, like Binding of Isaac, um, it is 100% in that vein. And it's something I would definitely recommend um, checking out. 
if you have the chance. I think it's on PC right now. I'm not sure what other systems it'll be on. But I play with a controller and they tell you to, so I'm guessing it'll be on consoles as well. Yeah, games like that are usually better with a controller. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you read Jason Schreier's book, Blood, Sweat, and Pixels, but there's a really... He's a um, one of the big writers at Kotaku.com. Uh, he's a games journalist. Um, he has this great chapter about the development of the console port of Diablo 3, and he talks about how in the studio there was this huge back-and-forth tug-of-war just to make the decision about whether or not the player could dash and like by flicking the analog stick in the direction they wanted to dash because I guess at the time that hadn't been done in like an action RPG before, but it ended up making it feel great on a controller. So now, like, I mean, I want to play Hades on a controller versus a uh, mouse and keyboard, which action RPGs like Diablo traditionally were. Like, you were always clicking around like an Amoeba. Um, but yeah, it feels great on a controller. Yeah, I can't imagine, like, that, that would just feel so bad if you had to drag a cursor and click to move on a controller that that would just i don't like that (laughs) i don't like that movement style on pc either like i i don't like um diablo style games because i think i tried playing diablo 2 and i think you did you have to move that way in that game am i remembering that right yeah you had to click where you Uh, wanted your guy to go i hate that like in a moba yeah i i i can't stand that that's just such a bizarre way of doing like, I think that's also why I just never got into League. Like, I'm sure it's fine once you get used to it, but I just, it's so foreign and it feels so dated to me. Like, like you have to move like that in a, when you play, like, TFT, since it's part of the League client, if you want to, like, move your character to pick up items that, like, will randomly drop after battles, you have to do that, and it's just so... Oh, that's funny. Yeah, I just, it's weird. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, the action RPG originated on pc so i think it had a lot of like legacy stuff like the way you control it that is only only kind of recently as the genre has broadened as consoles have gotten more popular um has has kind of the action rpgs have have broadened themselves and i think now diablo i think is more even more popular on consoles i think the console port is like what people say is the better um, well yeah it's because most people on pc will just play like path of exile yeah. Since I've heard yeah, yeah, yeah. Diablo 3 is kind of trash compared to it. I mean, I love Diablo 3 on PC. I still play every now and then. Um, but, I mean, Hades is what we're talking about. Dank, dank game. And if you're someone like me who gets kind of, I get kind of uh, apprehensive about super technical games like Path of Exile. Or Path, is it Path of Exile or Path to Exile? I think, I think it's, it's Path, Path of Exile. Yeah, so in games like Path of Exile, there's these huge skill trees um, in Diablo, same kind of thing, although it's kind of dumb, not dumbed down, but simplified in Diablo 3 versus Diablo 2. Um, but that's why I like this specific kind of game with permadeath, um, this, this kind of dungeon crawler, like Binding of Isaac, where there's not a whole lot of number crunching you need to do because everything you're doing, or most everything you're doing, uh, minute to minute in the game, just affects the current run that you're doing. Um, not a you know, big, long story. So Hades seems to be like a hybrid of that, so I'm interested to see where it goes. But, um, I mean, it makes everything everything feel so contextualized that I don't feel like I'm being bombarded with systems, which is great. Um, it is something that I think games are getting better at um, to make them more accessible. So I think Hades is a really accessible way to play a dungeon crawler if you 
um, haven't really broached the genre, but are interested um, huh. in, you know, dungeon crawlers are like one of the oldest, most popular game genres out there. Yeah, maybe I'll try it when it finally comes out. I kind of want to just not have to hit a wall, you know? Yeah, but it seems it seems like they have a, a monthly schedule for um, updates, like on the main client for the game, on like the main menu. There's like a countdown, the amount of days to the next uh, update. So it seems like they're pretty buttoned up. Um, and yeah, I'm interested to see where it goes. Yeah, it'll be cool. Yeah, so um, definitely check it out, um, dear readers, dear listeners. Um, and I think that about takes us to the end of what many are calling one of the best podcasts ever recorded. Yeah. Before we go, though, we do have to introduce our new end of the episode segment. Um, which is, of I, course. Which is, of course. Do you know? I don't think I told you that we were going to do this. No, I, I mean, I was hoping you would um, <laughs> Just go it. with it. Yeah. <laughs> Which, of course, like, if you're a true Motion Pixels podcast fan, you know why we're here. But for some people... You know. You know. You, there's no question. Some people forget. Some people some forget. Some people forget. Not me. Our Not mission us. statement is mm-hmm. to get the the one who normally I would not name, but I will for those who don't know what I'm talking about. You Larry Herb, that. Xbox Live with Major Nelson. He needs to come on our podcast. That's why we're here. And we all know the it. The only reason why we started, the only reason why we bought these this equipment, the only reason why we're distributing worldwide is sending a signal. Shooting, if you've seen 1917, you know what a flare gun is. Shooting a flare up, not so. The British Army can see it, but so Larry Herb, Xbox Live's Major Nelson can see it. He's a beacon of positivity, a beacon of innovation. A beacon of Xbox Live. He's Major Nelson, and we need him on our podcast. Yes, and in honor of him, what we are going to do each week now is we are going to pick the best person named Nelson. And so oh, I've written a, 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 a algorithm to pick the best Nelson of the week. I have the result right now. Are you ready for it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Can, you, uh, can you drum roll for me, please? Yeah, I mean, I think we should before we before we do this, we should talk say what the name of the segment is. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you the honor. <laughs> yeah, the name of the segment is of course Larry Herb, Xbox Live's majorist Nelson. Does it, do we have the question mark on the end of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. All right, are you ready for this the, this week's best Nelson? Yeah, I have a feeling this is going to be a hard question to answer. All right, drum roll. All right, and this week's Nelson is oh look at that! It's Larry Herb, Xbox Live's Major Nelson. That's the best. That's Nelson crazy. Week. Okay, you know, oh, I we do I have a runner up though. We do have a runner oh, up. Do you want to hear the runner up? Uh, Th- sure. This week's second notable Nelson is <laughs> notable Nelson. <laughs> that's that's new second <laughs> notable Nelson. This week's second notable Nelson is Nelson Mandela. Oh, that's sorry, a good Nelson. Nelson. Maybe next week. You'll uh, be the best Nelson of the week, but it's not time. to diminish, you know, in any way whatsoever, the work of Nelson Mandela. It's just that from the perspective of a video game and movie podcast, Larry Herb takes the cake. He's the best Nelson for us. Mm-hmm. He may have this, this Nelson, I think had some sort of effect that some people are aware of, but not the effect 
that Larry Herb puts out on the world. No. So I think it is with the utmost certainty that we can say, this week, Larry Herb is still the most notable Nelson. I think what I'm going to do is when we say a curse word, I think I'm going to replace it with some sort of soundbite from Major Nelson. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, uh, I think that's, that's, that's I think that'll good. be good. Yeah. That's very good.